to Doxed, the podcast. Hi, Roxy. Are you there? Uh, cool. So, and you were just talking right before Roxy came in about Nikki Scorpio. I don't think I know who that is. What's that about? It was one of the people that Ali mentioned in the very, in what, the day your guys' podcast came out, right, where the 15 episodes came out, and uh, you guys got my birthday as the 17th, and then I found that video that was that was like, this is the 14th and the 17th and 123, and it was all that stuff. I refound that video, which is one of Ali's videos, but somebody else had been recording it. And uh, and then um, Sherrod Counted went down on my birthday. Anyway, I refound that video because I was like, I wonder if anyone has posted anything. It was the day that I had found it when your podcast came out, it was at 117 comments. And the day I found it, it came out at 123 comments, of course. And the timestamp on it was 123. And she names Nick, Nick Scorpio in that. And he was in the comments section. So I followed him back to his account and I saw what he posted that day, which was whatever, a couple of days ago or yesterday, whatever that was. And what he had posted on January 17th, which I think was directed at Ali, except like he said, a big creator is criticizing me. And it was actually a really nice video. He didn't mention her at all. Like he didn't name her. And then I, anyway, it was a weird, it's like, I kind of, I kind of like Nick Scorpio. I don't think the, the, anyway, one of the things he says under it was something about, I'm in a, I'm an insemination sent here to change the world or something. I've made it, I made it wrong. He means he's, that's how he was conceived. And I think she misunderstood it. Something in that as him saying he could get people pregnant with his mind or that was somebody else. Anyway, she clearly doesn't like Nick Scorpio, but he seems to be an okay guy. Seems to be like, I've only in very brief, small video content, but um I think everyone, minus maybe Laura Faye that Ali is against, is uh, seems to be more in alignment. And then right before this, I also found, not related to Nick Scorpio at all, of course, someone I was, I don't follow anti-MLM stuff on YouTube anymore, but there was someone who's a few videos came up and I watched a couple of hers. And a week ago today, she posted one on Lucky Girl Syndrome. The new TikTok trend, it was like, this has been six months, it's not new for, anyway. Her videos in there were the first Lucky Girl one in December 30th. One that was from January 10th and one that was from January 23rd, which was Laura, who I've not, not Laura Faye, who anyway, it's like all the, I'm going to rewatch that after and comment on it and possibly make it good, make it public. Well, I love your commentary. <laughs> um, yeah, I, mean, I didn't even know who Nikki Scorpio was, but I think it, even Laura Faye, like she's kind of a weirdo, but I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't really understand a direct translation to harm there either like yeah there's whitewashed crap let's call that out but I don't even really see it as like a directly like if like there's real cults in the world you could call out I don't think anybody that Ali called out was a real cult really you know it was not quite the same thing but that's my feeling um, I'm so glad that we're talking to you again because so much has happened since the last time that we interviewed you for Doxed the podcast. Uh, so much has happened and so much you've been like much more directly in the line of fire, I think, than you were at the time that we last talked for this in some really big ways. So I'm glad we have a chance to kind of do a follow up. I feel like last, well, I don't feel like last time. Last time was February 11th. We were like a month into it and it's now been five plus months and it felt 
at that point, it could be like, it's just the end is just around the corner. And even now that she's on a break, there is no end. I mean, there is always more narcissistic people. There's always more narc natoing and there's always more just like digging deeper, trying to control everybody else. And realizing that was a long, a long path, right? Of like, this isn't something that is over and her constant need, all of our constant need to control, but her special need to control, to control the narrative and the narrative about her and I'm learning my lessons through it. But five months is an awful long time to be this. Like, she keeps projecting everything onto us. But, like, how she wakes up every day and finds a new level of, like, stalking and harming and harassing and bullying. And, yeah, back in February, I would say I didn't consider myself a victim of her at all. If anything, I was looking to be a victim. I was like, hey, put your put your energy on me. And although I still a little bit feel that way her energy is so highly taught she just uses everything her brain can come up with as a weapon not realizing she's using it against herself like the amount she's attacked each of us you there is no other option like it's like you all need to stop and apologize for every wrong that's ever been done to me and then this will be over but actually in the next sentence no it won't because I'm never done with this because <laughs> it doesn't matter what anyone does and yet the more this goes on, the more I kind of do see it from Allie's side, that from Allie's side, nothing has changed because she's in delusion. She's in, she didn't cause a circus around Jessica's death. She helped Jessica. She didn't, she didn't do anything with, she set a boundary with, stepped over it. She she just set a boundary with Roxy and, and, and Roxy didn't understand that. Allie has been not in the wrong at all. And so all of her evidence just backs up her belief system. And like, it truly doesn't matter what other evidence comes in. She's going to be in that. She's going to be in. She was in the right. Everyone else just needs to get on board with that. And I'm never going to get on board with that. But also fighting against that gives it more energy and realizing those pieces of it. It's what a really do I have control over? Yeah, it's a tough balance to strike because I think a lot of us like, I think I, I remember talking to Carrie Ann too about the same same phenomenon where you kind of start into it and you're like, oh, this is an important thing to talk about and this is important to push back against for all the all the reasons. And then you're like a month in, you're three months in, you're five months in, and you're like, what is happening to me? <laughs> like I didn't understand how deep this goes. I didn't understand how how much of a bog this is to get mired in. And then you have to slowly kind of climb your way back out. And uh, I think a few of us went through that because I don't, I've never dealt with anything like this myself, but yeah, one of the, I mean, you brought up projection and I think that's especially interesting when it comes to how she started to treat you, especially in the last like month or so. It's wild to think of that. We talked in February, you were our first interview and our first, I think, episode that we recorded for this, I think. So that kind of speaks to how, to like where the starting of this project was and we were where we were at back then more than anything else, I think is that interview. But she put a lot of projection of these, uh, these violent Im imagery and ideas and behaviors onto you that to me was just coming from nowhere but herself. And uh, we kind of, our last episode that we put out touched on some of that but I know it must have been really especially awful to be the target of of most of that it was kind of spread out among all of us but you were really she was really putting some very violent behaviors 
projecting them onto you in particular. Um, and then CPS got involved and it sounded to me like she was calling the police on you daily for a while or at least multiple times while somehow accusing everybody else of lying to the government. <laughs> but, um, you know, is there anything that you feel called to like clear up about any of that? Cause I know a lot of that was just totally based on like nonsense rumors about you and weird lies that the trolls were kind of just spreading. And I think that's part of this whole scenario is that the more you try to clear up rumors, the more ammo the narcissist has to go and attack you. Like every little thing that anyone has done against Ali, she brings up as if it's the worst thing in the world, right? The 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 statement of like, you must be, you might be jealous of your sister. I don't remember what the exact statement was. And it's like, that's not saying you're not also beautiful. Like she just hears these things and takes them as if they're, we've said them. We've made fun of her because she lives in her parents' basement. We've made fun of her because she doesn't have a degree. And it's like, nope, that's your inner voice, sweetie. And that's the entire time what she's projected onto me. She's like, you've scared me the entire time. I'm like, I know, because you're running away from everything that could actually heal you. Like, that's why I'm terrifying is because there's nothing here for her to attack, including for some weird reason, CPS. Because I have to say that was, is one of my biggest fears. At the same time, trust that this is all happening in the right time, in the right way, is also trusting that there is nothing she can do on her side that's going to fuck this up for me because and this is where it's infuriating for her and her people because it's like right everything you do is only going to be woven into the greater good absolutely everything including your projections of violence and my digital footprint and my one-on-one -on -one connections speak for themselves speak for me and like her amount of like jubilee's terrifying and i find it very funny that yes if you only see mean girls or sad girls and have no other context maybe but even then comparing it against Ali I don't understand how anyone could see my stuff and be truly worried uh, I don't even know what they're they pretend to be worried for me but they're really worried I don't know for themselves for the projection it's very because it's this constant like I I had it a few times during this of people like I used to feel sorry for you or I used to, let's like, who wants that? That's not a, that's not a check in the pro column. That's not helpful. That's not going to empower me in any way or help me in any way. I've, I've noticed that over time, like back in the days when she still had her huge platform and all her followers kind of gassing her up, her live streams must've been vastly different because she had a much larger audience back then. But the random weird accusations that she would make against everyone that she was targeting were so different than the accusations that she's making now. And I don't know if her audience kind of kept that in check a little more or called her out in her comments, even though she would delete them or block them. I don't know if that kept the weirdness in check more when she had more eyes on what she was saying. But what she says now is so weird and like strangely violent and and graphic do you think that that's changed because the delusion has actually changed or do you think it's like a calculated thing like appeal to people's emotions more or 
Do you think it's like an attention grabbing thing? She's running so hard and so fast from what's in her, the more that she can't project that onto all of us. Exactly what she says about us, right? The more we'd, we'd have to sit with our own emotions if she left social media. Sweetie, I've been sitting with my own emotions this whole time. <laughs> That's part of the projection in my process is knowing that at least with internet strangers, your opinion of me is not my fucking business. My opinion of you is because it's almost always going to be a projection. And so if I'm sitting in judgment of someone else, I can't not be in judgment of myself. And that's where like people fundamentally misunderstanding what's happening on my channel of like, you're judging people. I know what I'm doing and I can't do it without judging myself. So I'm going to learn my pieces of it. But they come on with a very like judgments wrong. Therefore, you can't do it. It's like you're judging me projecting doing, you know, <laughs> mirrors within mirrors. Yeah. And then it wasn't just like, it wasn't just Allie. It was a couple of different trolls who kind of took it upon themselves to really focus on taking you down. And I'm not sure what was so triggering to them. I have guesses, but like Hags here, for example, calling your mother is so beyond the pale that I can't even, I can't imagine doing that to somebody really, uh, unless it got to an extreme level. And, and I mean, really all you've done is make content. You haven't gone on some campaign to get people fired. You haven't like written. I mean, it's not legal to do lie reviews for something you've never actually experienced the, the business of or whatever. You never did that to people as far as I know. Like, why would people have such a vendetta? It must've just been totally triggering and something speaking to something about themselves. And I think it must have to do with like the parenting aspect, like a few of those Trolls, Frankie, Hagscare, probably others were parents of autistic children and you're, you're an autistic parent yourself. And there's some kind of weird internalized hatred there that is really disturbing. And just then the response was so out of proportion, I think. Part of it's the entitlement. I think that they feel like they're entitled. That just like Ali is saying, we're trying to silence her. We don't know what do want you platformed on TikTok that was toxic but by all means I mean it's not good for you to have a social media platform but I can't control another person whereas with a lot of the other people they both seem to want to be influencers want to project me wanting to be an influencer me chasing clout I'm like that's that's fundamentally not what's going on here clearly um there's like a like Hag's cure specifically feels like the projection of pure entitlement. Just like, oh, I'm I'm a white holistic woman. Why you should listen to me and my advice above your inner advice above above basically anything. Even when she doesn't listen to her own advice, and I think it's very triggering. Understandably, this is where I'm like, oh, my own lessons to be labeled a racist or be labeled an ableist and be labeled, yeah, you're ableist, especially against autistic people has all of us dig our heels in more, right? Like there is that knee-jerk reaction to dig your heels in more. And at the same time, to me, that is the, that is the learning through projection. This isn't a lesson in Hank's cure becoming less racist because she's going to dig her heels in more. It's other people to see the racism and become less racist. But in order to do that, it's a little, it's, it's using her as the example right? So therefore, she's probably going to become more racist through it. But hopefully, the and it's like, where is my responsibility to not because it's not ignoring it definitely isn't the option. And yet, if we label it and talk about it, it becomes more so 
I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. It's a lot of these issues. The more we talk about them, the more they become bigger issues and we have no place to solve it. Yeah. I mean, I think like naming and shaming is definitely, definitely a strategy and it probably does radicalize people because of that kind of mistaking it, mistaking going after actions or ideas for going after something fundamental to them. People get really defensive like that. So you're probably right. But I do think at the end of the day, representation is really important. And the more you can talk about it, I think, I think it does change people's and, and even, you know, it is a deterrent when something usually goes unnamed and you feel like you can just get away with it. And that's why you haven't thought about it. And now suddenly you have to think about it, even if it's because you're watching this other thing play out in front of you. I think that that has to help, but it is really hard to know other than just to follow your own intuition about what you're meant to do, which I think you do a really good job at. And I think that's where like learning from my own angry projection on Allie of like, stop attacking people, attack the idea and not the person of like, I know I'm doing that same thing. And it's like this, it's so much easier to attack a person to scapegoat and like to truly be like, what, what I am attacking Caitlin for and her racism would not be possible if that wasn't inside of me. And so to be able to put it on Caitlin and see the piece of it that's in me and let it out so it's no longer in me and also like see it on the outside, turn it, look at it. It's easier than admitting that piece that's in you. And at the same time, it's doing the same thing. It's attacking the person, not the idea. And it's like, yet it's easier. And I, I see people who supposedly don't have my method no projection, no judgment. And then they're sleeping with their clients. They're, you know what I mean? Like your way doesn't work either. There seems to be this very faux surface level, I like you, peace, love, that is not in any way authentic and real. And I would rather have people tell me what they really think about me and trust it than have people who pretend to like me. And I don't know if those are related, but ideas that I, I can understand that I'm learning my own lessons as I project them onto other people. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really interesting. Just like taking ownership for the things that you're judging about, because it probably does speak to something which is good to be unpacking. I think that's really healthy, but I do think it's bypassing to just have that, like that surface level and that whole Kyle sees thing. That's a very interesting entire other story which I guess goes into the mean girls or sad girls YouTube channel. And maybe you can talk. I forget that probably wasn't a thing the last time that we interviewed you. Right. I don't think it was. So since then your channel has sprung up and at this point it's getting, it gets more views and I think has more followers than we do, which is fantastic. Um, it's really good long form content. It's a fun way to kind of just spend some time with you and your way of thinking about all of this and I have loved the commentary on there and um but maybe you have something to say about like the mission behind that and where it's going to go from here considering that it does I haven't heard anything maybe you've heard more than me because I've been actually on vacation kind of here uh have I missed something is is there anything new going on with Allie online right now because I haven't seen anything and that's that's a relief if true so I don't I mean I'm, I, I don't have access to her Instagram only YouTube so I assume I would hear if she was posted on Instagram though I mean she says she's taking a break do I trust her no but I trust that we would know if she was posting 
I trust that she won't keep our names out of her mouth when she is back posting because I don't think she's actually capable of it without a hell of a lot of healing. And I think that was, and I feel like you asked me a question that I'm not answering. I was, I got off track on my own question, but um, I think I was just asking about the Mean Girls or Sad Girls channel and like assuming that she's not back and I'm sure, I guess she probably will come back at some point, which is such a weird, but that's not a today problem. Um, but in the meantime, you know, I love that channel. I know you've talked a little bit about the Kyle C stuff. Um, so what do you think that's going to be going on there going forward, I guess? And uh, yeah, and also I just know like, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm following my own, my own journey of 2023. And that's kind of that when that channel got made, because I didn't want to risk my other channels. I didn't want it. It actually did. It absolutely got made after February 11th. So I don't think it even existed before when we last did the podcast episode. And so I started having one place to catalog stuff in one place. And now it's kind of my favorite one because it chronolog it's the lucky girls versus mean girls. And it's the 2004 movies. And it's not even the stuff that's like, most of it's unlisted that it's like me seeing the signs and symbols and in the very beginning of this, I kept referencing two specific events that I got involved with previous to this, where amongst my world saving projects, there were events that happened where I stood up and did what was mine to do and met new people and did new things and learned my lessons. And that was, although I don't know if I mentioned them before, it was uh, an acquaintance of mine, Nicole, who I knew through the world saving group, joining Duterte and inviting me to an MLM pitch amidst a pandemic. And Kyle C. Speed Me Tooed on February 19th, 2020, which I now know the dates of because of what unfolded since then, which was, well, this was all going on. Again, I learned my lessons. I think Allie was on a, maybe a bit of a break around March 16th. And I was like, I wonder what that guy Kyle's up to. And I, I watched one of his videos and made a brief commentary. I don't even, I haven't watched it in a while. I don't remember what I said, but he found the video and commented on it and made two shorts at me that was like, wow, this man has not changed in three years. He made a video that was like finally telling his side of the Me Too story, which I watched and commented on. And it's weird because he both puts out way more content than Ali, but it doesn't really break. Like it's more, I can't watch this man and ick, like more so than judgment and wanting to like cover him. And at the same time, I'm sure I, I, he'll be a constant concern but also, I know I got a lot out of his stuff. And I know he's helping people where they are. And I also want the truth to be out there about him. And it doesn't feel the need to be like, he's not spiraling in the way Ali was. Anyway, rebringing these things back in with the 2004 movies, it feels like I'm discovering something that's on technology and that I've been up to for the last six or seven years that I didn't know I was up to because I've been cataloging and like my journey and sharing it. And a lot of it, again, is unlisted and me working through my own stuff. But it's like, oh, I was doing exactly what I was meant to be doing. And the right, anyway, the dates, the times, the events, all of it. And yet I'm in the position, I, I'm not quite where I was at the end of 2022, but close. My health is, was bad at the end of 2022. And then I had that, that, what, what I called psychosis at the end of the last, or on the last podcast episode but was really being planted, was being, having the energy of the universe flowing through me. And I felt like I had superpowers and there were things I had access to that I don't have access to now. And with all the hindsight, I wasn't in psychosis. I wasn't in delusion. I had people I was running things by then and can talk to now and be like, 
did I see what I thought I saw? You both, right? Did I see what I thought I saw? What are these things? What are these signs and symbols? And some of them are far-fetched and ridiculous, but the amount they stack up is like, how do we, I don't know, how do we ignore it? So the Mean Girls, Sad Girls channel is like, do I have a plan? There is no plan and I need actual help with my life and my projects in Vancouver, where I live before I can move forward with any of them. And I've been on strike since September and I don't know how to do the piece that gets me any of the people besides keep saying that, right? Like, <laughs> like I don't know, the people will show up when they're meant to, because they have been and figuring out my piece of that. Like through all of this, I definitely, because what I definitely didn't do when I was, when I was high with energy was create physical in-person community in Vancouver, right? I did and didn't. I did reach out to friends and family. I did have one-on-one -on -one video conversations. I need an intergenerational in-person family that is dedicated to living life, raising our kids and my mission. And that's not what society's designed for. And doing that is hard for anyone, but especially when you're living with a disability. So it's like, do I know what's next? No. The less I know, the better, the more it's just being in the flow. And the more I try to plan things, the less energy I have, the more that it just unfolds, the more it unfolds. I will also say I, Kyle Cease gives me the ick too. That is my opinion of him. And I've been watching that content and I've just been fascinated by the, I don't know, like the psychology behind it, behind just like behind creating a cult too, versus creating a community. And I think, yeah, I think a lot of what, what people describe as psychosis there is really just like ungroundedness. Like if it's dangerous, it comes from a lack of being grounded. And it sounds like you're taking active steps and definitely have had like a support system around you to stay grounded which enough is, that that was not. Absolutely what I would like to talk about in regards to Ali, and I've mentioned this before, is the amount that they attack me specifically for the times I have asked for help and how hard it is to ask for help. I know I have hyper-independence and asking for help and receiving help are two completely different things. They're never in alignment, it seems. But to attack someone who has asked for help, to call wellness checks on someone who clearly knows how to ask for help when they're in a bad spot, and then make fun of them for it, and then use yours as a weapon, is setting people up to unalive themselves. Setting people up for hyper-independence. And that is way more destructive than lucky girl syndrome. That is the destruction. The idea that because I think I'm lucky, I'm going to have good things happen isn't a problem if we're in community. Because my luck's you And if, if I'm not responsible, because all you got to do is think you're lucky, that's the toxicity. Yeah. I, can you actually repeat that very last bit you said, if you remember it? Because I think it cut out a little bit. No, because I don't remember what I just left it. <laughs> um, but you were you were making a good point that... Um, that people is, who ask for help that's what I was saying. yeah it's a toxic mindset to try to punish people who do ask for help or even who ask for the behavior to stop like I think in Michelle's case that kind of happened where she was like please stop this and uh to punish somebody for that it discourages the people that are following you from seeking that out in their real life connections I totally agree uh, meanwhile, really what tangible harm has lucky girl syndrome done? I get the idea. And I definitely think looking into some of these Colorado shaman, white women, people, that's pretty dangerous looking. That's pretty harmful looking to me. And people like Kyle sees people that like, and other people that are even more clear examples, but 
people that start cults. I mean, there's real example. First of all, why wouldn't you go after kind of Christianity for the harm? But second of all, if you're not going to do that, there's like real life cults, clearly a problem that you can probably see growing and burgeoning on social media. And you can go after the them for their harm. Talk about like, I don't even know, like Teal Swan's an example, but that's kind of one that people already have seen. But you, I don't know that I have specific names. But there are very real cults out there that are not the same thing as just a micro-influencer on TikTok talking about spirituality, even one who's trying to tell, sell tarot readings or psychic services or whatever. It's maybe not you know, true in some sense, or that's even arguable, but let's assume it's not even true, anything that they're, and it's just for entertainment only. Beyond that, there's so much more in, in the vein of like different religious sects and cults and not even religious, like there's people that are clearly harmful and she wasn't going after any of those people. It was just sort of like a personal vendetta, I feel like. I don't think it was ever about necessarily calling people out for the sake of the greater good in any way or protecting people or saving people because you'll notice her content never had anything past the call out. There was no there was no call in, there was no here's what you could look to instead of this, there was no education, there was no like aftercare in any way. Uh I don't I don't think her her calling out of spiritual creators had anything to do with the community further than just kind of building up her ego and building up her audience and getting more eyes on her and more people to buy into her ideologies and buy into what she believed about herself. I don't think that her goals, her intent, her content reached beyond herself very much. And it's hard to know what people's intentions are. I understand that. But looking back at what she was actually doing when she had that huge platform, I don't think it was about anyone other than herself. And I think with me and my learning of where I've been with this stuff, like I have these four questions that became the four parts of peer coaching, which are like health, relationship, time, and resources, that I struggle in all four of those areas. We all struggle in all four of those areas, but I struggle in four of those areas, but I can meta them, but I can't seem to individual them, but I've gotten better at individualizing them. That there's something about those four areas being like the opposite of the bite model to some degree. But Ali absolutely has dictated the entire time. She's had this like sense of charisma and faux authenticity that has other people believe what she says about people's behavior with no proof believe her as a source of information, despite the fact she's constantly proven wrong, and control the thoughts and emotions and have people's, her following's thoughts and emotions be for her benefit. They are sacrificing their health, their relationship, their time, and their resources for her, which is kind of the definition of a cult, right? That you're doing that for a leader, for, I mean, if you're doing it for the mission or the community willingly and understandably, that could have power to it. But Ali is incapable of seeing that she created a cult and that she's capable of creating a cult and that she's joined she that she's joined many but it's always like the in the past right she's never currently in one and if we can't currently see where we're letting other people dictate our behavior information thoughts and emotions and that we've all joined a lot of social media cults like a lot like how many people are we following like how much do we trust people without having built any foundation of trust 
and you know that we think we can get a feel for someone from social media content I still do I'm like I I, I like Nick Scorpio he seems like he's got he's maybe got more stuff together than other people because he can admit that he doesn't are you tired of feeling unsafe online do you want to learn how to protect yourself from cyberbullying, doxing, and other forms of online harassment? Then look no further than Doxed the Podcast. Visit the website doxthepodcast.com to sign up for the Doxed free ebook full of helpful tips and resources for online safety. Plus, when you sign up, you'll receive the weekly newsletter with the latest updates on upcoming content. There are many ways to connect with Doxed, including Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Discord. Have a story to share or feedback to give? Use the contact form on the site to reach out or leave a voice message to be featured on the show. And for exclusive content, subscribe to the Doxed Supercast to gain access to the private podcast feed with member-only exclusives. Take control of your online safety and join the Doxed community today. I think it does go back to that, that parasocial relationship, which I discovered that I misunderstood through this to some extent. And one-on-one relationships, I think, change that a lot. And it's really important to kind of consciously share that message, I think, because we're going to have to counteract this this problem that is growing all the time. And I don't really know another way, a better way to do that than really having like face-to-face one-on-one interactions. I think that was totally right. That's something I kind of learned from your way of approaching this. And I think that's a huge lesson, um, something I would take away from it. But that's not really something you learned here. That's just something you, that's something you've been doing for a while before this. Yes and no. My capacity is that I can only do one-on-one or small video chat conversations. So my disability required that I did one-on-one conversations and it's how I was saving the world. However, I did not know how important one-on-one connections were until 2023, until I saw our, the importance of our connections and even just in the grounding because I can say however what however I talked about that psychosis delusion at the end of January it was grounded it was extremely grounded it was rooting like it was my roots growing you can't get more grounded than that it's that I need to unground myself to move outside of that to do anything in life constantly because you we can regulate each other's nervous systems with physical presence but I also think we can do it through video chat and through other ways, just by connecting, by seeing someone else's humanity and feeling feelings, about, you know, like feeling kinship and happiness and friendship and and those and it, it I can feel it in my nervous system and feel it grounding and more connected. And I think that is how we heal is more of those one on one connections. But when you're projected into the ether, right, as a, as an influencer misunderstanding that as the influencer and as the person watching, right? And they don't know you exist and you have feelings towards them or they know you exist, but you're one of a million, right? You're a follower, you're not. And we even a community, no matter what size or a church, a, a town, it's the one-on-one connections built up. And I suck at them like a little bit. I mean, I, I do, I suck at the maintenance of them. And I, technology can help only so far. It's like, I need a village. I need to be able to walk out my front door and have it. And that has become nearly impossible in our society, right? Like that used to be the norm. Everyone had that. And now it's no, like I've lived in this house for so long and I do not really know my neighbors. It's easier to have parasocial relationships. It's a lot easier to have relationships of people that like are just going to be on a pedestal until they fall. 
I can't repair my relationship with Kyle because he slept with a client, right? I can just sit here and be bitchy towards him. He's not my brother. He's no, he's, it's like, it's easier than actually repairing stuff and, and fixing the world, repairing or severing one-on-one connections. I think it, I think it is easier, but it's a really important payoff because the payoff is kind of, is joy and love. And that is something that's not the easy path all the time, but vitally important. I was going to say the, the joy and love, the part of the irony is like, if you're seeking joy, if you're seeking love, it's not there because it's like this constant seeking of it and acknowledging both that you don't have it because you're seeking, but it's like, it's, it's the recipe for disaster to seek happiness is to be miserable, to allow happiness in the moment. It doesn't matter. And then it's there. And it's like, because joy and love is the key. But if you are insisting on it, which is, I think what lucky girl syndrome, right? The insistence that someone else must be in joy and love. That's purity culture. That's, right? That's not, but actual, like allowing yourself to have all the emotions and allowing real connection leaves you with joy and love on a, on like a regular permanent basis by not insisting on it, by allowing more of it. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I think it's just made to be difficult by society. I think it's just like, you're constantly being told by culture not to leave room for it. So it takes some kind of unpacking I think to understand that it's important to understand that it's deserving of space equally powerful maybe more powerful than other modes of being like I was uh what I I was going to talk I was going to say I talked to my family about AI this weekend I'm home for Father's Day and some people were bringing up how we might be close to a singularity where AI will basically figure out how to kind of code itself. And then suddenly in a snap, it'll get better and better and just be in charge. And uh, cause we won't be able to even understand what's kind of going on internally with the code at that point. And people approach that idea with a lot of fear and like understandable, there's a lot of danger. Also though, my response was, well, I think an AI is a reflection of the creative mind behind it at least up to a certain point so if you're kind of training it to think in a certain way or with a certain framing based on what it's learning from people seems like we should just get an ai involved that is loving (laughs) by by having it learn from loving people and then if you know if there's uh some sort of high level decisions to make about ais what I would think would be the priority at this point is getting getting a loving framework into something that intelligent rather than just being afraid of the thing that is trained off of all the racism and horrible crap on the internet and, you know, and whatever is the most coldly efficient thing. I think an AI can be equally smart and have like a loving approach, you know, uh, but people just can't even think about it can't even give it the space to say well that's even a possibility instead it's all about this fear of this other thing and what's going to happen yeah who knows but it's it's really um chaotic times overall and there's not really any way forward that i can understand at all that is not in love i think ai is terrifying for the same reason i'm talking to ali 
Um, it, it is it is actually terrifying. AI is terrifying because the people who are coding it aren't necessarily coming from love, but it can't necessarily, it's coded. It doesn't necessarily have emotions. It can't necessarily do those things. And I think we all get at some level how broken humans are that both that projection of like, well, it's going to enslave us. Why, why would we think that? Because we want to enslave it. And that's what we've done in, in history. And on top of that, it, there's this, um, say this, this human nature in AI that's like, it's, it's making us unemployable. It's giving humans disabilities. It's, it's like, right, you'd have to create art for the sake of creating art, not for it to be sellable necessarily. And that there's, this is the fun of, that humans are destroying the planet. If we code AI to be here for humans, it has to stop humans from humaning. Right. It has to like and, and I don't know if we know how to code love into that. And yet I I think with what I'm seeing with technology, it's coding itself in like you can't logically get to where we are. And I think what AI has that scares us is its perfectionism, is it's we can't be as perfect as it. Right. As soon as it perfects something, it's going to let all of its all of itself know and it's going to update itself. Right. Like the board. We have the opposite where it's like our our authenticity our brokenness is part of who we are our shadow and our light and it's not supposed to be that i'm supposed to make copies of myself everywhere that our authenticity and uniqueness is there um also i think a fear that people have of ai like oh it's gonna enslave us it's gonna it's gonna do what humans have done which is so terrifying i think part of that fear is also hierarchy like <laughs> AI is so intelligent, it's so scary what it might be able to do. Well, because we live in a hierarchical, hierarchical society and like what a novel idea to code not only into I, to AI, but into all of our minds that no one is better than the other. We're all one, we're all the same thing. Like how much less fear would we have of AI if we truly believed about each other that we were all one thing? Yeah, I think also that's a that's a reason why people are afraid of it because they see AI as an other and then you when you when you see something as an other, I'm definitely getting this from some article. You either want to you either want to assimilate it or you want to dominate it. So the the initial reaction is always going to be either make it more like myself so that I can see it as not other or kill it, annihilate it. And I think it is really scary to people when there's kind of a realization of like, oh no, like it would annihilate us. <laughs> um, and that is like a projection, but there could be a third option of allowing space for difference that is not necessarily better or worse, but equal and just different, equitable. And I think it'll be a really interesting transition to see AI get to a point of intelligence that it's indistinguishable from, from real intelligence and it becomes life because I think love and life force are, are connected. So if you think, you know, AI can't experience or frame things through love because that's like a uniquely human thing, I think that, that line will get blurred eventually because I think that, and then I think that's the point where it kind of gains its own like sentience and life force has to do with that. So I don't think that's impossible. And I think it's, um, it'll be an interesting challenge and, and why not possible 
to treat it like we could all be one thing that is that has diversity and benefits all itself and thereby you know it's going to it's a mirror of us the same way everything else is so it's going to project back onto us whatever we treat it and i don't see why we can't have a voice in that sphere of whatever ai voices there will be deciding the things that understands the value of love and life and humanity because it's valuable. I think that if you're sitting there thinking there is no value to doing that um, or that it's strictly going to be efficient and cold, you know, that's a projection. I really think so. I have written here punishment. And I think that there's something in our criminal justice system, this need to, like, I think logically we can see that punishment doesn't fix it. It creates more crime no matter how much we want punishment to equal, just make it harder. Just make death penalty the answer for everything. Steal the candy bar, death penalty. It doesn't work. It doesn't mean there's less stealing. It does. It makes it more, in fact. There's more incentive to do that there's something about um, that, a, that a, a logical, I don't know what else to call it, AI, can more see that. And can, like, there are certain things that it's going to be able to see in the data. We bullshit ourselves so often that it's not going to do that. And that is what is scary. Like, it's like, oh, I punish us, right? That it's going to make us all into, it, it's going to design our houses into jails and lock us all in or something. And if the people are in charge of it, if the world, I absolutely think that's a possibility. But if AI itself, I think it can see what I see, which is that we need 8 billion of us working on our problems. We need to unlock humanity, not lock humanity in. And that is very much a joy and love like oh if you guys if we allow for joy and love you guys fix this yourselves and we can't like we being the ai can't fix it for you we can't code it this is so like i came into all this world saving stuff with a technology project we are gonna ai and code our way to solutions and came to oh it's one-on-one -on -one connections and i have to talk to people i don't like it <laughs> i love it but you know it's like same time yeah that's a good point I don't know. I'm interested in how that. Oh, go ahead. It's all right because it's AI and it's also June 19th. We have to deal with our and us being white people need to deal with why we enslaved an entire continent, right? Like, and that wasn't, we didn't take the entire continent and enslave them, but like enough of the people and to feel we fucked up on a grand level, clearly. But I mean, at the time period, instead of connecting with the land, connecting with God and connecting with each other, we ran away from it and made it everybody else's problem and forced God, that very patriarchal, very, you have to go through the clergy and through the book and and uh, on everybody. And what we enforced, what we said needed to be the, like what we didn't want to do was all of the physical labor that was like food and childcare, and that means we didn't want to look after our own children. We we forced everyone to do what what we didn't want to do, and to not deal with the emotions, like why the why the why of we did it. We're just going to re keep recreating it in new ways, and the need to ignore it and be like it was you know 150 200 years ago. No, it's not because we're still all doing it constantly. We're still enslaving people all around this planet. But also that particular point in time is humans breaking humanity, is breaking what it is to be human, is to say 
we're more human, we're more civilized, and you're less than in any way. There's no way to do that that's not projection. That's not we're being the lesser than. We're being the only thing in that that is enforcing it. And what me, we, I'm pointing to myself, white people enforcing their religion, their marketplace, their way of raising children, which was not raising children on everybody else because they saw it as better. And and while simultaneously not doing none of it themselves, right? Like, here's how you till land and you do it. Here's how you raise my kids. Here's how you like dictating that hierarchy until we can truly figure out why the fuck that happens. We're still doing it on a daily basis. I don't know how to. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely right that it's something that is definitely still happening. What you just said reminded me of that prison experiment that happened, I want to say maybe a couple decades ago. I want to say it was a, a group of college students who did this prison experiment. prison experiment. Yeah, where everyone had a role and I think they had to call off the experiment within like a day or two because they had just gotten so violent. And it's terrifying that that's just something that's innately in people, a lot of people. And it, it makes me question sometimes, well, what is even humanity? Is is that what humanity really is? Because it's it's disgusting. I will say about the Stanford prison experiment, I believe that there was some stuff that came out later on because it's often held up as an example of how that is something that kind of violence and, and need to dominate is inherent to people. But uh, I think there was subsequent information that came out that said that the psychology professors and people that were running the experiment were kind of were kind of breaking it to force that uh, to force what was happening there a little bit, which I take as a positive sign. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that we're not in a system that also is doing that to us all the time. And it's really hard to think that there's another way when there's people that literally will just throw up their hands and say, that's just how people are. And there's so many people willing to do that instead of really uh, imagine other worlds and possibilities. And that part is scary because it definitely is still, uh, it's not a dead, it's not a dead idea. It's not a dead way of thinking by any means. And I'm sure there will be some AI that's like, that's that projection. And the question of AI is really fascinating when you think that we haven't, we haven't unpacked at all our own history as a country. I think we're just starting to, just starting to. So I'm that might be a, a piece of it as a, as a Canadian. What is a country? Like, right. What is America? What is Canada? How do we unpack our history when our history doesn't start here? And it definitely does like, it's, 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 um it's global and it's our global human history that has been yeah, anyway, that it's, it's, it's global history, right? The, uh, and you like, just like you can't heal as an individual without to some degree society healing or having other people to heal with as a nation, you can't, especially when you're making it everyone else's problem. I, I don't, America's the alley of the world a little bit, <laughs> a, a, a little bit projected, you know, everyone ought to live this way. Let's go start wars to to have that, that be the case. And uh, Canada's not much better. We just, we just do our racism and colonization with, with more, uh, with a maple leaf on our backpacks. <laughs> with syrup on top. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I agree with you. That's a funny comparison because it is like America's kind of known as like the cop of the world. And that's exactly what was going on there. And that's kind of like proselytizing Christianity all as well. Same impetus. But I think national identity is like collective ego. It's like it informs everybody's ego that's part of that nationality. It's part of an identity. And I think that the idea that a country is delineated from other countries itself is an ego, is an ego formation. So I think, yeah, deconstructing the ego leads to a more global understanding of things, I would say. But, and I think we are maybe starting to do that, but not everybody. It's kind of striated by like generation and people definitely still have their heads in the sand. People are definitely still trying to go back to normal, you know? post-pandemic return to normal. I don't think it ever will, but there's absolutely subsets of people that are convinced it's what's happening. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a, that there is no normal to go back to in any way, shape or form because there was never normal to some degree. Um, this is part of the big issue, I think, with the right versus the, the left is that there is right versus the left. But a lot of times the right is going backwards. They're either keeping it the same or going backwards. And although... They don't agree on how far back and what they liked about the whatever time period they're trying to go back to. That's one direction. Whereas like the, the left wants to move forward to a better, beautiful world to some degree, but cannot in any way agree what that looks like. And they eat themselves alive. Like the right is a lot, like, even if I don't agree with your family values, right? They'll, they can work with each other more, I guess, because they have the value of money. I don't know, money and family. Whereas like, I find the left is more white woman pain right that like you need to do it my way or else and it's like there's the, the venn diagram of everyone who feels exactly the same as you is exactly one person you can't get anything done with one person yeah i feel like it's hard to think about the left and the right because i think those just being like in categories especially when they're self-imposed are both ways of thinking that ultimately point back to uh ego and just like usually end up in a kind of authoritarian way and I think that's where I almost or like in a sense depending on the context that's where I agree with people who might say something like there's like a horseshoe theory although I also think that's kind of a dog whistle to discount I certain ideas there's like a point to that and the point is it definitely can become authoritarian using the same language and it, and it almost has to do with rather than politics it almost has to do with like narcissism or like antisocial personality disorders versus uh, versus not that. <laughs> and I think, um, I mean, we kind of saw that with like that with Ali and just basically using the language to mask all of those same ideas. But I think that happens a lot. And I think another kind of problem to unpack within the left, you could say is there's people that are that are more like strict Marxist socialist kind of people. And I think that's a very white take. I think that you can do an intersectional version of that. And in fact, like certain certain authors definitely built on Marxist theory to get to things like intersectionality and anti-racism. But there's like a whole subset of the left that really still is very like white male centric and only sees kind of one way of doing things. And I think, again, that just sort of points right back to the some of the same problems that that caused the problem in the first place. 
So it's like, I, I guess I would align with the left, but I also think it's less about at this point in my life anyway, I think it's less about that kind of, I don't know if that language is like resonates with me either way, because it's just kind of like, I've seen so much unhelpful crap on the left. And then you see, and then people that look in from outside are like, oh, see the left, like you even just said the left eats itself, but a lot of people will use that to dismiss the whole, the whole set of ideas, the whole philosophy. And whereas to me, it's like, well, it's when, when Ali is attacking people like us, it's not the left eating itself. That's a completely different set of ideals, set of like philosophies. The language is like a costumed similarity but it's not the same political position. So I feel like I've just moved away from that language because of that, I guess. And also because like, it's really true. Like having spent now a few years kind of trying to engage with leftist circles, quote unquote, whatever that is meaning, there's a lot of variation. And I think it, I think it falls along the lines of like, like antisocial personality disorders and specifically narcissism and needing to unpack that ego Otherwise, it just if you if if you're taking any position where you haven't done a lot of that personal work, you're just ending up back in the same place. Like left versus right is the political sphere, and to me, it's very much like kind of somewhat move forward versus kind of staying the same or moving back. But we, although they're both owned by the rich and powerful, and neither are working for our own benefit in any country anywhere, basically. They are both needed. You need people who want things the same and you need people who are going to envision a better world. You need them to not be at war mirroring each other, but who are able to work with people who don't agree with them. And that's where I find the left eats itself alive. They're not willing to work with people who they don't agree with. So therefore they cannot work together because they're always going to disagree on something, right? There is always going to be something unless we can get to we're going to disagree. How do we move forward on what we agree with? Or how do we move forward on things that we can agree with and, and have the difficult conversations that aren't ignoring the things we don't agree with and aren't, aren't letting things be. And that's where I've found with this. A lot of this stuff is like, I should we be calling people out instead of calling people in? No, of course not. Calling people in is much more effective. But when people don't have people to call them in and most people don't, and it's like, well, then to each their own, the alley, just don't comment on it, is allowing the bully, is allowing colonization and forced capitalism and just all of it. Forced Christianity, it's like that's the like, oh, we're going to be kind and nice instead of actually do what is right. And doing what is hard but right is a much more important thing, at least to me, than appearing to be doing the right thing or appear to be. And it, it's a constant battle though, because I don't want to be seen of as doing the wrong thing. It does feel icky. I don't want people not to like me. And at the same time, if you have to choose between doing the right thing, but people not liking you or being likable, but doing the wrong thing, which are you going to pick? And our entire society is picked to have the, and that is a lot of the left as well, is to like look like your virtual signet look like you're doing the right thing as opposed to actually being deeper because you have to be willing to get it wrong. You have to be willing to look stupid and bad in order <laughs> to get it. And it's hard. It's a hard position to be in, especially when people are out making fun of each other constantly. Bored. Yeah. I think that also plays out on like different levels and different spheres in different ways, because once you get into higher levels of influence, like say, for example, being a TikTok influencer, you're 
there's like a represent, there's like a performative quality to that. That's just inherent. And so it's like, no matter what you do, it's always like some kind of performative choice. And then that question, what would you do? And the morality kind of shifts based on that, I think, because you're sort of also factoring in the fact that you're going to be a representation of something larger rather than just having that one-on-one -on -one connection. So it's like, I don't know, it's like a catch. It's like impossible to really not be performative while you're doing that in any way. And my mom came in. <laughs> But like for me, most of this work is intergenerational family work, personal family work, even when it has nothing to do with my family whatsoever. I mean, the amount my cousins have come in is really weird. But um, I don't know if you got the the Duggard family and the newer, the new miniseries that came out about them and watching the like quiverful movement. Yeah, the quiverful I grew people. up not in quite that religion. Like we only had three kids that were families who definitely had more kids. But this idea that like God's in charge and then the man and then the woman underneath the umbrella and the children underneath that are under your umbrella, then you're nothing bad can happen to you. And it's like, I asked my dad this because I was, I was like, like the man's in charge of the household at any point, are you given any guidance on how to do that? Right. How to be in charge, how to be a leader. And then no points are they. And at the same time as a mom, there's a certain amount of like, instinct that comes in that's like nurturing and protecting but you still have no clue especially if you haven't been taught it especially like and then both as mothers and fathers were expected to fake it completely fake it that you have all your stuff together and eventually every kid realizes their parents don't they were lied to and like that's that's the healthy thing to do because if you do where you allow your kid to know you don't have your shit together and heaven forbid all the adults don't have their shit together a really uncomfortable place to be a kid in like the alleys the people who look like they're confident in what they're saying and have no clue and it's based on delusion but confident delusion are going to be given positions of power each and every time not that alleys in a position of power but those type of people people who can own that they make mistakes and that there's can't be as confident are never going to be the people that i don't know never but currently under our current system aren't going to be the people that are put in charge and finding the people who can just see that and are willing to like be in that and create something that isn't fighting against the current system. Yeah. I definitely found it easier when I started to try to make my way through spiritual influencer space, that there were definitely people that just took me much more seriously than I've ever been taken in academia <laughs> uh, without any particular quality, like not because of any qualifications I had, but just because of my I guess, energy, you know, like something, something intangible that people feel like, uh, it might be like confirmation bias because they want to feel like they have their own intuition. So they're going to kind of go with their first instinct about things in a way. And people have, like, we talk about discernment a lot. You got to practice that, but that's to counteract that initial, that initial feeling of just like, Oh, I trust you because of what some look in your eyes or something. And it's a little bit scary, definitely can be dangerous if people are willing to use that to trick people. Yeah. And definitely people do. I don't think it's inevitable though. I think that's like a place that I disagree with. Some people just sort of give up on the whole idea of making a change because they think, well, that's just how human nature is. And I think sometimes, but I also think like, I know that's not true of a hundred percent of people because it's not true of me. 
in the sense of like, I'm, I'm going to try to manipulate people in that way. I can certainly make mistakes, but, uh, in the sense of I'm going to get up there and just sort of abuse my authority to the best of my ability to make it out on top of the hierarchy. Certainly people go in there and do that, but I know that's not why I'm not why I'm here. And so therefore I know that's definitely not inevitably how people are just isn't. And I think that's the one place I disagree with people that just sort of throw up their hands and they're like, well, that's how it has to be. You have to operate in the system. There is no, there's nothing better than that. I think for me, it's both that I can see a way that is much more peaceful and less energy intensive that isn't fighting against the system. More so than that, though, it's not to me because I I do believe that I did believe everyone had good. Everyone's good person. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not. Maybe it's most people are good people. And there are some people amongst us who are not good people, who are willing to F over absolutely everyone for a tiny bit of more of the pie. But it's very clear that our systems that are in place right now put those people in power, not because of the evil in each of us, but because of like the complaint, like that we want a leader with confidence. Well, if you want a leader with confidence, they're going to be ruling from on top of Mount Stupid in the Dunning-Kruger effect. There's no other way for them to do that because they'd have to acknowledge they don't have all the answers, right? They'd have to acknowledge that there's a process to finding out the answers, that someone else might have the answers who wasn't elected. And we're not, like, they will get torn apart. And that is how it will be if there needs to be one leader of a nation or one leader. But if, like, we're in voluntary association, where anyone who's in charge of any group we're part of, we've chosen to be part of it, and therefore we can either, you know, choose a new leader or leave that group. Um, and then how do those groups work together without there ever being one person in charge? They, they, like, there's other paths to take that aren't. And this is, again, like... The left seems to be extremely fascist. Like someone in, in one of my um, videos was like, what did they say? It was like, only the right can be fascist, something along those lines. And I was like, oh dear God, you're not, you can't recognize it at all. Like if you're looking only to the right, you're not going to recognize it coming from the left at all. And that's the scary part, because if you need everyone to feel the way you do, everyone needs to do this and then we'll all be okay. That is fascism. That is the like. What is that piece that you push onto everybody else and can you not? Thank you for listening. Find additional content at doxtthepodcast.com.